There's an old truth. I said I want to share it with you. And, and the fact of the matter is, there's difficulties in life. The path of life is a difficult one. But the reason that we go through these things in 2 Timothy 2, 3, the Bible says we endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And you say, why? Why these difficulties? Why this hardness? Why do we have to endure it? Why this soldier talk? Why all these, these struggles? Well, to grow stronger in life to grow stronger in life. There's no shortcut. God takes everything we go through. God blends it all together. God uses it to grow us. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Let's take our Bibles, please, and turn to the Epistle of James and the first chapter. James chapter 1. Stories told of this uh, perpetual optimist. Always optimistic. And anyway, he was on a skyscraper and he fell off the observation deck. And as he was falling to the ground... About halfway down, somebody heard him say, so far, so good. Well, we're two weeks into the new year, and well, so far, so good. Is it going all right? For the last couple of weeks, we've had kind of New Year messages to kind of set the stage. And we have a fresh set of months ahead of us, and we want to go into them with a good, godly, spiritual attitude. So I have one more message. I'd like to talk today about growing stronger through trials, or advancing through our struggles. I think you'll see what I mean here. In James chapter 1, we find an old truth. And you're going you're gonna to sit today, and you're going to listen. You're going to go, this is an old truth. But to be honest with you, I would guess that the vast majority of us still don't have it down, including myself. So we need this. In James chapter 1, and in verse number 2, Bible says, my brethren... Count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Now, as we read this, we read of something that's extremely difficult to do. And that's why it's an old truth that's seldom practiced. But it's talking about getting into trials, getting into tribulations, struggling, suffering, going through the mill, and still having joy in the midst of it all. Still taking it as from God and still growing through it. We're going to be talking about that, growing stronger through our trials. But let's, let's pray first, shall we? Father, we thank you, Lord, for the privilege that's ours to know Christ as our Savior. We're thankful for this journey that began spiritually at salvation and for the ride, as, as we would call it. We pray that you would help us to understand that everything we've been through, everything we're going through, everything we will go through has been foreordained of thee. Help us now to grow through these things, and we'll thank you for it. We pray and ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's been well said that life is, is not for sissies, and isn't that the truth? It's not for sissies. It's hard. The fact is we live in a fallen world, going back to the Garden of Eden. And sin, sin has contaminated everything. Sin has its fingerprints over everything. We have wars between nations. We have wars in in many homes. We have this depravity in our human bloodstream. And the whole creation 
groaneth and travaileth in pain until now, the Bible says. We, we, are, we are under a curse. We see the second law of thermodynamics at work. Things left to themselves just go downhill. Our bodies are wearing out. And there are, there are numerous disappointments on a weekly basis at work or, or at home. And, and reality is, for a Christian, if you know the Lord, you can add to it that you're going to have even more adversity because the devil doesn't like the fact you're a Christian. The world doesn't really like the fact you're a Christian. And your flesh doesn't like the fact that you're a Christian. And that's why the Bible says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. 2 Timothy 3.12. It doesn't say might. It's a possibility. But shall suffer persecution. And that's why our Lord and Savior said, You're going to have to take up your cross daily. How often? Daily. Take up that cross and follow Him. Now, don't misunderstand me. The best life is still the Christian life. I'm not poo-pooing the Christian life. I think it's the best life because it's the real life. I think it's the best life because it's the true life. I think it's the best life because it's the one life that is with purpose. You know why you're here, the purpose for your existence. And I think it's the best life because uh, there's rewards in the life to follow this one. We read in Mark chapter 10 and verse 29, there is no man, and this is Jesus talking, there is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands he says, for my sake in the Gospels, but he shall receive an hundredfold, and in the world to come, eternal life. And so there's all kinds of rewards that follow this life. It's kind of a paradox. On March 5th, 1981, I called upon the Lord. I was born again. I, I, I knew I was on the road to heaven. I surrendered my life, and I got something far better than what I surrendered, honestly. But I got three new enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. You have these three on your back now as a child of God. Paul the Apostle put it this way. In Acts 14, he was talking to new Christians, exhorting them to continue in the faith. He said, and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. That's not encouraging, is it? But it's true. We must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. That's why later on Paul would say, I've fought a good fight. He didn't say, I ate a good pie. He didn't say, I've enjoyed these years at the amusement park. I, 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 uh, I, I think the Christian life is like a holiday or, or a Mediterranean cruise. No, he said, I've fought a good fight because it is a fight. Now, there's an old truth. I said, I want to share it with you. And, and the fact of the matter is, there's difficulties in life. The path of life is a difficult one. But the reason that we go through these things in 2 Timothy 2, 3, the Bible says we endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And you say, why? Why these difficulties? Why this hardness? Why do we have to endure it? Why this soldier talk? Why all these, these struggles? Well, to grow stronger in life. To grow stronger in life. There's no shortcut. God takes everything we go through. God blends it all together. God uses it to grow us. Look, we live in a fallen world. We live in a depraved world. We have no control over that. But we do have control how we respond to the depravity that surrounds us. Many years ago, we had Pastor Schaefer from the New Testament Baptist Church in Laramore preaching here. It was like the first or second year we were here. And we put him up in the, the Motel 6 over on uh, South University. And the next morning, it was Sunday morning, he came to church. He looked tired. And I said, well, how was your night? And he goes, well, not real restful. And I said, what happened? He said, well, there was this party going on to me all night next door. And, and he said, finally, I couldn't sleep, so I just 
went down to the desk, and I just said, could I get another room? He goes, I didn't bang on their door. I didn't bang on the wall. I didn't call the cops. I just said, could I have a new room? And they said, well, sure, sorry about that. And he said something that I've never forget, forgotten after that. He said, in life, you cannot change people. He said, you can only change the way you react to people. And isn't that the truth? You know, we go about trying to change everything, and honestly, folks, we just need to change ourselves. We just need to change the way that we react to people. I don't know about you, but I have flunked that lesson many times. It's kind of kindergarten, but I keep flunking kindergarten in that area. Christianity, that is, and I think you might agree as well. But, but there's a principle here. Suffering for a Christian is inevitable. It is lifelong. It is necessary, and it is beneficial. And it takes a mature Christian, really, to recognize this. And ironically, these are the very things that make us a mature Christian. So it's just this, this circle here, if you will. We find in our text in James 1, the, the disciple said in verse 2, my, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect, that word means complete, and entire, wanting nothing. In other words, you're going to grow through this. You're going to grow through this trial. So let's take a look at that truth. We see three think, things here in this passage. And the first is what I call this ironic rationale. It, it doesn't make any sense. It's, it's like a mystery. It, it, it's a paradox. It's ironic. But it's the rationale that the Holy Spirit has given us here. And I've got to admit, it, it's, it, it's bothersome to me. It, uh, it, it's, it, there's Greek words here that I've looked up, and it doesn't make it any better. In, in verse number 2, he says, my brethren, count it all joy. I looked that word up. You know what it means? Really being joyful. Count it all joy when you fall into divers or different temptations or trials. Joy? Yeah. That's what the Bible teaches. In fact, Peter says in 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, but rejoice that ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Notice he says, don't think it's strange, this trial that comes along. Don't scratch your head going, what's going on here? But rejoice, rejoice, rejoice with exceeding joy. He says, I don't know what this joy business is all about here, but it does speak of being joyful through trials. It's the Greek word kara. It means cheerfulness. It means delighted. It means glad. It, it means exceeding joy. We find as we read verse 2, it says, My brethren, count it all joy. Notice the adjective attached to it there. All joy. In other words, nothing but joy. All joy. Pure joy. 100% joy. Count it all joy joy when you go through these temptations. And notice something else in verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when, when you fall into diverse temptations. Not if, but when. In other words, you're going to go through these trials. In, in the weeks ahead and the months ahead, you can anticipate some problems not trying to spoil your day here, but there's going to be potholes, there's going to be bumps in the road, there's going to be rough spots, and sometimes you see it coming, sometimes you don't see it coming at all. It blindsides you. It, it comes out of nowhere. You, you stumble over these problems, and it's just a wham. In fact, notice the, the word fall in verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations. Those are the ones you don't anticipate. Those are the ones you don't see coming. You don't anticipate falling 
You don't do it on purpose. You don't fall and say, help me, I've fallen, and I did it on purpose, do you? <laughs> no, you, you don't anticipate a fall, but life trips you up, and you stumble over your problems, and, and you're, you're, you're strolling through life, you're sauntering through life, you're strutting through life. It's easy street, there's no cares, and all of a sudden there's this pothole. That's life. That's life. No matter who you are, no matter where you live, a trial is really just one notice away. It's just one notification away. It's, it's one job elimination away, or, or you get the news that you've been let go without warning. That trial is just a matter of a phone call or a knock on the door late at night or a note from a spouse that says, I want out. That trial is, is just uh, no further away than the grim look on a doctor's face with the bad news that, that you have something incurable. It, it's no further away than a lie spread about you or an attack from a friend or something on an endless list. It's that close. And so in verse 2, James says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations. And you read that and you go, that's not possible. That's nuts. That's fairy tale talk. How do you count it joy when you fall into divers' temptations? I can't do that. And you're right. You can't do that. I can't do that. Naturally, we can't do that. Only supernaturally can we do that with God's help. Find joy in hardship. Now, there's two things that we have to do whenever trials come. And one is to make a conscious decision to have joy in the midst of it. And number two, tap into God's grace. There have been times over the, the past 30 years of pastoring and 35 to 30, 36 years of being a, a born-again Christian when I've gone through things that I just no way I could have gotten through them without God's grace, where I've just cried out for help. And God will give that help. It is called God's grace. Now, God allows this stuff in our life because he knows the final chapter. God is sovereign. We just see a little part of the picture. God sees the whole picture. And when I say God is sovereign, I mean he is in control. He is calling the shots. He is pulling the strings. Whatever you want to call it. God is saying this is going to happen. There are times when we don't like what's going on. We don't like what's happening. In fact, we ask God, what are you doing? You know, there's a verse over in Daniel chapter 4 and verse number 35. It says, He, that is God, doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? God is going to do what he wants to do according to his will, and none can stop his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? What are you doing? What are you doing? This is a great verse, folks. It's a powerful verse. It's a verse we need to embrace, really. It's a hard one. But, but there have been things in my life that have shaken me down to my foundation, driven me to my knees, squashed me to the ground like a bug. I don't know if you've ever had those things. But I can say, as painful as they've been, I've never been forsaken of God. I know I love Him. I know He loves me. And I also know this. It's an old, old truth. It's an old, old verse. Romans eight twenty eight says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. All things are working together to, for good to them that love God. And, and so we need to understand whatever that trial is, it was sent from God. And uh, it was for a purpose, and God has a reason for it. And by the way, don't trust your feelings. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can 
no end. When the, the bottom falls out, when things cave in, we, we normally analyze and we, 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 in our hearts, try and figure it out. And you're not going to figure it out quite often. The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. And so when those things come into your life, don't listen to your heart. Don't follow your heart. Don't trust your heart. Trust God. Trust God. We read in Isaiah 48.10, God says, Behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. If we get what he's talking about here, it's talking about the refining process, the refining fire, where God puts that that precious metal through the fire and he draws out the dross and he makes it pure and he makes it more valuable. And God says, he does that to us. He says, I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. That's God talking. That's God trying to grow us up. God loves us and he's just trying to do what's best for us. We find this in Psalm 66 and in verse 10. The psalmist says, For thou, O God, hast proved us, thou hast tried us as silver is tried. Thou broughtest us into the net, thou laidest affliction upon our loins, thou hast caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, but thou broughtest us out into a wealthy or satisfactory place. Notice it's talking about all the things God might put you through in the process here to prove you as silver is proven or tried. He'll, he'll bring you into a net. He'll afflict you. He'll cause men to come out against you. He'll, he'll take you through the fires and the waters. But when it's all said and done, he'll bring you into this better place, this, this place of growth, this place where you're stronger, you're more mature, where he can use you in a better way. And you know why he goes through all this? If he didn't care about you, he wouldn't bother. But he does care about you. He does care about me. He loves you. He loves me. You know, I was thinking this last week about the love of God. And there's a comparison actually made in the Bible between the love of a mother and her child and the love of, a, of, of our Heavenly Father with us. You know, there, there are few things that you can, can see love better in than, than in, in a mother and a baby. I uh, showed you my, my newest grandson here a few weeks ago, a few months ago, and he was two, two pounds and 12 ounces when he was born. That's my thumb. <laughs> and that's his little finger around half my thumb, if you can imagine that at the time. I had a chance to babysit him here uh, about a week ago. That's me holding him now. And uh, I actually got to babysit him overnight. And I just told my wife to shoe, and I brought the, the baby into bed with me. And, and I just looked at his face all night and uh, kissed his little forehead and, and loved on him. And, and I thought, why, why is there such a love for a parent or even a grandparent for a baby? Well, that baby hasn't really done anything to earn it. I mean, hasn't done anything for you. Actually, they just take and they take and they take and they take. But you love them. And I thought of the love of a parent for a a child, and I thought to myself, that's how God loves me. That's how God loves you. We really can't imagine how God loves us unless you take the love of of, of a parent for a child and multiply it many times, and then you really get a little glimpse of why God invests so much in you, and God puts so much into me, and and God tries to grow us up. He has a a plan for us. And, And so when James talks about counting a joy when you fall into diverse temptations, really? Well, it's kind of an ironic rationale. But he goes on in this passage. We see, secondly, what I call this imperative reason. Why should we count it all joy when we fall into these different temptations? Well, there's an imperative reason. Read in verse 3 with me, if you would. Knowing this, 
that the trying of your faith worketh patience. The trying of your faith worketh patience. God puts us through these trials to grow us in many areas, including the area of patience. I know of a preacher, and he was uh, preaching out of town in another church as a guest preacher years ago, and I heard him tell the story. And afterwards, as, as, as folks often do, they're enamored by a new preacher in town, things like that. And so a member came up to him and, and said, boy, I have this heavy burden. Could I pray with you about it? And the preacher said, well, sure. So they went aside to a, a room, and, and they both got on their knees, and, and the preacher said, go ahead and pour out your heart to the Lord. And so the, the man with the burden on his heart he bowed his head and he began to just, you know, talk about his problem. And, and, and he said this, God, remove this burden. And the preacher next to him said, God, don't do it. <laughs> I just interrupted his prayer. God, don't do it. And the guy looked over him kind of strange and he went back to praying. And he said, well, Lord, at least delay this burden. And the preacher next to him said, don't do it, God. The guy went, what? And we went back to praying and he said, Lord, I, I guess I don't know if you want me to have this burden or not. The other preacher said, Lord, I know you do want him to have it, and don't take it away from him, and don't delay it. Allow him to go through it. And the guy looked over me and said, Preacher, you're not helping me much in this deal. And the preacher explained this con- concept to him that I'm talking about here today. We so often pray, God, get this burden away from me, and that's not God's will at all. We so often have the victim mentality instead of the, the student mentality. You know, you can, you, can, you can play the victim card or you can be a wise student and you can say, God, what do you want to teach me through this? This world is, is full of victims. And, and, and we ask why this isn't fair and we feel sorry for ourselves. We have a pity party and, and our eyes are on ourselves. We're the victim. That's what the victim is like. What is the spiritual student like? The one who's a student. Well, the student says, Lord, this is Okay. You're teaching me something, and you know what? I'll be able to help somebody through this thing, and, and it's, it's not about my happiness anyway. I, I am going to be a student in the midst of this all. Now, notice back in verse number 3 here in James 1. It says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. I looked up that expression, knowing this. And you know what I learned about it? It's not talking about the kind of knowledge or knowing that you get in a book. This isn't book knowledge. Knowing this is not book head, head stuff. It, it's heart knowledge, it's experience, it's hard knocks, it's faith being put through the trials and the fire. And, and now you know this. You've learned this. You've gone through this. You've experienced this. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. That word trying there means the trial. The trial of your faith worketh patience. You know, old Joe back in the Old Testament went through the mill, didn't he? Next to Christ, I don't know of anybody that I find in the Bible who suffered more than Job. I I mean, he lost his, his, his kids. He lost his wife's loyalty. He lost his employees. He lost his crop. He lost his, or at least his animals. He lost everything. Lost everything. And he lost his health to boot. And yet he said this in Job 23 and verse 10. He said of God, He knoweth the way that I take. And when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. When, when, when this thing's over, when he's done trying me, I'm going to come through these refining fires. God's going to take me through this by his grace because he loves me. And I'm going to come forth as gold. So what's God actually trying to accomplish through our trials? Well, several things. First of all, 
trying to purge out sin in our lives, trying to purify us. Just like you skim that dross off that silver when it's melted, and it's pure now as a result, God purges out sin when we go through trials to purge us. Secondly, he's trying to test our faith. Like he tested Abraham's faith when he told him to go sacrifice Isaac on the top of Mount Moriah. It was just a test. He wanted to see if he'd really obey. Do we still obey God at hard times? One of my very best friends in in the world just went through an excruciating year last year. I mean, he lost his dear wife unexpectedly, and I mean, that wasn't the end of it. In fact, there were other things that compounded that, and he even said, you know, I, I feel a bit like Job. But as we talked, it was evident he still loved God. He still didn't plan on quitting. He was going to go forward. Do we continue to obey God when it's dark all around us? God might put us through some things to find out. Thirdly, God uses our trials to obviously humble us, humble us. We can, we can run a string of successes together and, and kind of get prideful in, in, in the process, and God will do sometimes things to drive us to our knees to knock that pride out of us. He uses trials to humble us. Fourthly, he uses struggles in order for us to learn some things to be able in turn to help others. We go through stuff and you go, why? So that you can help somebody else who has to go through it someday. We read this passage in 2 Corinthians 1, 4 of, of God, it says, who comforteth us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Now, that's a mouthful, isn't it? But it's basically saying God comforts us as we struggle, as we go through these issues. He, he gets us through these things. He comforts us in the midst of it all so that we in turn can turn around and be a blessing to somebody else with that experience, with that which we've learned as we've gone through it. And so he purges out our sin. He tests our faith. He, he humbles us. He enables us to help others. Fifthly, he allows trials into our lives to drive us to him. They drive us to him. It's an odd thing. If you're a parent, you understand that that there are times when your children act up and you have to discipline them and you would think at such times, you know, they'd get hard against you and turn on you. But there's been so many times in my past when I've, I've gotten done dealing with my children and they've hugged me and they've, they've told me they love me and they've, they've cried on my shoulder and you go, this is odd, but it's, it's really the way it works because they know I care about them. And when you go through these things and God puts you through these things, it knits your heart to him. It, it knits your heart to him. Let me just say, oftentimes, um, when we have smooth sailing, what we have is faith that's been untested, and the Christian life just becomes theoretical and, and kind of some, some hypothesis, kind of big talk and speculation of, of what the Christian life is really about, but we really don't know what it's about. And we can talk up a, a big talk, but it's when we get those bruises and when we have those band-aids and, and when we go through those things, God's proven us that we find out what we're made of and we're battle-tested. And we're stronger as a result. So there's, there's this ironic rationale. There's this imperative reason. And thirdly and finally, there's this incredible result. In verse number four, it says, But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. You say, Pastor, you believe in sinless perfection? No, that's not what it's talking about. When it talks about being perfect, it's just an old Greek word that means complete, mature. Uh, you know, having, having learned something and gotten to a certain level. But let patience have her perfect work, verse 4 says, 
that you may be complete or perfect and entire, wanting nothing. You see, the process leads to a product. May I say that again? The process leads to a product. We're so concerned about the process, you know, we just, get me out of this. God's more concerned with the finished product. God's not concerned really with our comfort, needs, and money, and, you know, the things we count valuable. God's more interested in making the man or making the woman or the young person. And, and so that process leads to a product. And, and, and quite often, what you have to go through requires being gritty and, and having some spiritual spunk and some backbone and some fiber and some guts. And um, my pastor told me in Bible college, don't ever say guts. He always said use, use the word intestinal fortitude. You get the picture? Okay. But basically, it's a process that leads to a product. And, 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 and we need to be careful about trying to wiggle out of it before God's done, prematurely. We, we try and wiggle out of that thing. God says, I'm not done yet. That's what verse 4 is talking about. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. It's talking about a spiritual maturity here. If you're a student of the Bible, you're very familiar with what the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit. Now, the world would hear, what? But you know that means these are things that are not only evidence of salvation, but these are things that, that really show this Christian is a spiritual person. They're listed in Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Fruit of the Spirit. That's spiritual maturity. You only get these things by going through trials, by going through hardships. I have some heroes in the faith, and these are all grizzled veteran men that I just admire, and I call, and I, I get advice from. They're my mentors. One of them is a man in his 80s by the name of Milton Martin. He's, he's just a giant for God. I, I, in my mind at least, think he's a modern-day Apostle Paul, really. God's used him so greatly, not just down in Mexico with hundreds of churches down there, but around the world. You know, I can only begin to imagine the things he's gone through over the years. In my mind, two words come to, to mind when I think of him, pure gold. Pure gold. He has suffered. He has gone through things. He's even now still going. He's all beat up. And his wife, I mean, the health has gone there. And, and they just keep going. And I think of how, how they've learned these lessons over the years. And, and they're pure gold. Pure gold. That's what I'm shooting for. Now, why do bad things happen to good people? Why, why do evil things happen to the righteous? Nice people. It's a great mystery. The truth is God doesn't explain himself, does he? I don't know about you, there's many things I've gone through and, and God hasn't had to explain himself and, and I won't know until he reveals it in heaven one day, that day will come. But this I know, this I know. There is nothing that can get to a child of God without first getting past God. In other words, he has to allow it. He let it pass. No arrow can get past God, no dart of the devil can get past God unless he allows it to get past him. You know, the devil will orchestrate a number of things in your life to get you to quit. He wants you to quit. If you do, he wins. He's won, okay? But if he, he comes after you and, and, and you face all this adversity and suffering and struggling and, and you come out of it stronger, guess what? Now he's lost. Now it backfired. Now God's won. When you use the grace of God, 
you give the devil a black eye. When you and I tap into the grace of God, we give the devil a black eye. That's why Hebrews 12.15 says, Looking diligent, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you. Your troubles, my troubles, can make us either better or bitter. And as we go through them, if we tap into the grace of God, we come through it better. If we fail of the grace of God, and it's not that the grace of God has failed, we fail to tap into it. And if we fail of the grace of God, we end up bitter. And so God may allow affliction into your life, but it doesn't have to destroy you. We read this over in Acts 5 after the disciples went through it. It says in verse 41, they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer. That's odd. They departed from the council rejoicing. High fives, woohoo, you know. Why? Well, they were found worthy to suffer. They rejoiced in their sufferings. That's how they responded. How will we respond? It will be either with joy or with bitterness. It will be either with faith or it will be with fear. It will be with either submission or stubbornness. It will be with love or hatred. It will be either with forgiveness or will hold a grudge. It will be either with hope or it will be despair. But trials from God are not designed to defeat us. They're, they're designed to give us victory. They're not designed to weaken us. They're designed to help us be stronger. They're not designed to hurt us. They're designed to help us. We read in 1 Peter 1.7 that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Notice this trial of your faith is more precious than gold. What's it mean that perisheth? Well, gold's going to pass away. It's all going to pass away. It's all going to be burned up one day. But what you go through is priceless. It's more precious than gold. In fact, in the same chapter, notice verse number 12. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. So, when the trials arrive, what do you do? Well, let me just give you several things quickly in closing. First of all, you refuse to panic, and you refuse to get bitter. Secondly, you give thanks. I know it's hard to do, but we're told to to offer up a sacrifice of praise. You've read that before? That means when it's hard to do. It's a sacrifice to do it, but you do it anyway. So, you refuse to panic or get bitter. You give thanks. Thirdly, Find some promises of God. I could have given you a zillion actually today and and we just don't have time, but there are tons of promises in God's word that that you can claim at such times. So find some promises of God, all right? Fourthly, trust God. Trust God. I've had several of you email me for those verses on trust in God. Happy to send them along to you. Encourage you to memorize them if that's a problem. But trust God, all right? Fifthly, And you're going to hate this one. It's a four-letter word. Wait. Wait. W-A-I-T. I I was going to say W-A-T-E. But I just want to see if you're listening, okay? W-A-I-T. Wait. Wait. Boy, we just start bouncing off the walls like, you know, Daffy Duck and panicking and woo-hoo-hoo-hoo, you know. And, And God says, wait. Oh, how we need to learn to wait. And so, let's wait, wait. 
Number six, this is really practical. Avoid any big decisions at such times. And you know why? Because your decision maker is broken. All right, it'll get better later, but until it does, borrow somebody else's. Avoid those big decisions at such times because you'll normally make the wrong one. You'll follow your heart, like I said a moment ago. What's more deceitful than the heart? Nothing, Jeremiah 17, 9. So just wait, just sit tight. Don't make any big decisions. And finally, number seven, continue to serve. Continue to serve. Whatever you're doing for God right now, don't drop it. Don't stop it. Don't pull over and park. That's really a dangerous place to be. Just continue to serve God. There's a song on our radio station entitled, God Will Make This Trial a Blessing. I I love that song. God will make this trial a blessing. You say, is that just some kind of theory? Is that kind of like speculation? No. God will make this trial a blessing. It'll come. And you'll discover the joy of knowing when, when you come out on that other side that you've grown stronger as a result of the trial you've gone through. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Puppet Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.